Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate wickedly smart women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom, along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel, and today we welcome our special guest, Helen Dayen. Helen is a Wall Street veteran turned executive coach with two decades of experience in high stakes environments. Twice named top coach in New York, Helen helps companies and ambitious leaders become power players, especially while navigating conflict and business challenges. The goal? To drive revenue and to get her client the respect and success that they deserve. Helen's mission is to turbocharge people's leadership and coach them to navigate change and conflict effectively. Working across finance, tech, law, healthcare, you name it, she has dealt with it. Welcome to the show, Helen. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to have you. So, Helen, let's talk about your leadership. Were you always a leader? Were you always somebody who was like helping others when you were a child or like herding all the sheep on the playground? Or did your leadership and your experience in helping others come over time? You're going straight for the juggler, as they say. So no, not at all. I would not consider myself somebody who is always leading, who is always the one, the popular one that people followed, I would say probably growing up, I was quite insecure. My my story is one of chronic change, meaning that I grew up in the former Soviet Union. So I was, I we immigrated to the United States when I was six and a half years old. So that was change number one, uh, going from one language, one group of friends, comfort to starting over for myself as a kid, that's one thing, but to see my parents start over, my grandparents starting over. So that was the first change. And I went into a school and I had a funny accent and I didn't know the the ways of the American kids. And then, you know, we moved a couple of times. So I had to start school over. So I would say that I never felt like a leader. I never really felt like I fit in, to be honest with you. So this has been an evolution for myself personally. Yeah, well, but what it sounds like is that you definitely got your chops in navigating change <laughs> through that childhood. So let's talk about then, how did you end up on Wall Street? So coming out of school, I went to NYU and I was in the business school for undergrad. And there were pretty much two paths that most kids followed coming out of NYU business school, which was you either went to investment banking or you went to the trading floor. And I went to the trading floor primarily because I'm an early bird and I think more clearly in the morning than in the evening. Investment bankers tend to need to be really sharp at all crazy hours of the night. And that was something I knew I was not good at. So I was I chose to play to my strengths. And I also knew that I would have a chance to be very client-facing earlier on in my career 
if I was on the trading side in the in a client relationship role. So that's how I ended up on Wall Street. The beauty of being at uh, NYU in New York was obviously all the best banks recruit from there. And so I, I really had a chance, but I was one of only three women that went to the Lehman Brothers sales and trading class that year. So I was definitely yet again, the weirdo out seems to be a theme a little bit of my life as I was, I was the newbie and it was an environment that I was, I was different, just like I was when I immigrated to the States and many other times before that. Mm, So let's talk a little bit about being one of three women that went into that path Mm -hmm. in your cohort. What was it like for you from a female perspective, not just from a like the odd man out perspective, Mm -hmm. but from a woman's perspective, stepping into what we could call a more masculine environment? Mm -hmm. I I was uh, taught by my family that there was nothing I couldn't do. So I'm very fortunate that even though I was also the only girl of my generation, so all my cousins are boys on both sides. I have an older brother. I was the only girl. I grew up with really strong and really powerful women on all sides and incredible men that raised me to believe that I didn't have to be seen as different. So for me, I was very naive going onto a trading floor, male dominated back then, certainly, more than now, where I was like, it doesn't matter that I'm one of a few women. It really felt like it would have been not a big deal. Very quickly realized it actually is a big deal. And I will say that I never had an attitude of because I'm different, I should be treated differently or I shouldn't be treated differently. I kind of just felt like it was important to do really good work and and, and connect with people on whatever connection we could find, even if you know, even if we were different. I was lucky that I worked with really great men that just wanted, expected, had high expectations of me, expected me to deliver, didn't matter, you know, my gender. So I didn't really focus on the gender piece for me. And once I got to the trading floor, I realized that the firm was actually doing a good job hiring women into roles. So, Mm -hmm. so I did have some, there were some very senior women that that was rare for banks back then, but I, we had some really strong senior women that I could look up to as well. Oh, beautiful. And so what I'm hearing there is is you were like part of the wave of change. What would you say has changed in the industry since you went into it? And then, of course, you left. So we'll get to that in a minute. But what do you have you seen has changed for women in that particular industry in the time that you were there? So I will talk about what I've seen between when I started and what it's like now, even though now as a coach, I'm not inside a bank. I have my own business, so but I work inside the financial services space quite a bit, so I can speak to it as well. I think the biggest change is obviously there's a big push and a big, even a bigger effort to make sure that women have the same opportunities. For a very long time, it was a boys club. On the weekends, people went golfing, primarily the men went golfing, or many of them would go out for dinners and drinks late at night, which wasn't conducive to somebody who had a child at home and and didn't want to go out late at night. It did feel, especially in my role, which was a sales role, that in order to be successful, 
I would have to be out every night. And I looked at that as a 20 something year old. And I said, well, I don't, I looked at my boss who at the time was 38. He had three kids at home and he was never home. And I looked at that and I was like, I don't want that to be me. If this is the only way to progress and to have a successful business on Wall Street, I don't want that. So I, I kind of knew that very early on. Some of those things haven't changed, to be honest with you. Some of those things are the way the business is done. And maybe COVID helped a bit, to be honest. You know, it created a bit of opportunity for, for women because they can work remote and fewer people are going out every night. But I do think there's also been a really big push to make sure that there is proper representation at more senior levels. I also, though, think that especially around the Me Too movement, it actually made the men that were interacting with the women, it made them so guarded and they were so scared to say the wrong thing that it made it hard for some of the women that had natural relationships that were very authentic and open and maybe a little bit in quotes, inappropriate, not in any physical or sexual way, but just sometimes there were men that could banter with other women, right? They all of a sudden felt like, oh, if she's in a room, I can't be myself, right? So Mm -hmm. it actually, there was a, almost a little bit of a backlash. And I heard that from some of, you know, my clients or just in my network, women saying like, this is almost making me feel more excluded, (laughs) Because now these men are so scared to say the wrong thing that they're just not talking to me at all. They're Mm. not mentoring me. They're not inviting me to dinner. You know, it's almost, there was a big fear. I feel like that happened uh, most around the Me Too movement. Mm. It's kind of scaled back now. Uh, I think it's a little better now. Beautiful. Well, let's talk about you making the decision to leave. And, you know, some of our listeners are in high-powered employment situations. and make the decision to leave or might be contemplating making the decision to leave? What inspired you to depart corporate work and start your own thing? Well, I will say as kind of a theme for me is change is something that's been a challenging part of my life, but also something that I've always been able to navigate. And I've I've never liked to stand still. And as I shared in my 20s, when I was on Wall Street, I looked at my the people ahead of me, a couple of years ahead of me, and I thought, well, I don't want to be doing that in 10 years. So I was always pretty early on on Wall Street. I was searching for what's next. It wasn't necessarily going to be a coaching business. I didn't even know much about coaching Mm -hmm. back then, but I was always trying to figure out what's next. I moved from one type of product on Wall Street to another. And in that other product, I was a lot more entrepreneurial. I sat inside a bank, but I basically created a business. I saw an opportunity in the market. I saw that a certain group of clients were underserved. I approached the head of the department and said, look, our bank is not serving these clients. I could do that work. In fact, I've already been doing that work and nobody is getting paid for it. So let's just make it official and build this product around this idea. So we did that. So I guess in a way, I was quite entrepreneurial naturally, but I had this cushion of a big bank and a steady salary. As I did that, I then discovered this incredible field of executive coaching, which never had any ties to HR. I I was kind of a hustler on the trading floor, a deal maker, right? So for me to all of a sudden be exploring leadership development or, you know, executive presence, it just was such a departure. But when I, the way I discovered this field was I was talking to a client of mine who was managing a huge book of business. He was managing a lot of money. 
and he was under a tremendous amount of stress and I just wanted to help him. So I started to Google how to help him and discovered the field of coaching through um, some of the articles I was reading. And I thought, well, maybe that's what I should be doing instead of selling corporate bonds to these guys. Maybe I should be helping them navigate how to perform at their higher level and how to reduce their stress and how to work with people that are difficult to work with. And that's that moment when I discovered coaching, I didn't see, there was no doubt. Mm. It was like, I'd always been searching for what that next thing was going to be. And it was more around the role that I get to coach people and I get to do this thing. It wasn't so much of, I want to start a business. It was Mm. like, this is it. I'm doing this. Mm. Yeah. Just, just to give you an idea of what we were looking at at that time, I had a brand new baby and I decided that I would be doing my full-time job, taking care of a brand new baby. And I started this coaching business on the side. (laughs) So, and I was loving it. You know, I had the energy to do it on nights and weekends to coach people. And that's when I knew I really was onto something that felt very fulfilling to me. Mm, Beautiful. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to let people know how they can find out more about your coaching. But right now, Weekly Smart Women, we could use your help. If you are enjoying this show, please consider joining our community, making a donation at wickedlysmartwomen.com and sharing with your lovely lady friends that might benefit from our content. Help a gal out and let your sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, and colleagues know about the show so that we can serve them too. I want to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We just found out we've won our 12th award. Yay, team. Yay, guests. Yay, listeners. Yay, us. And we are also welcoming thousands and thousands of downloads from all over the world. We are now up to 116 countries. We might as well shout out to our listeners today in Russia. And also in, let's see, there must be some other USSR countries on here, Kazakhstan, probably, and Tajikistan. And we will be right back with Helen Dayen. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by women in transition, women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your wealthy life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Helen Dayen. You can find out more about Helen at dayengroup.com dayengroup.com. We will have that for you in the show notes. And of course, she has all of her socials there as well, you know, probably LinkedIn and other places where you can also connect with her, but that's her main site. So before we went to the break, Helen, we were talking about how you just kind of discovered executive coaching and realized that you were really aligned and it was something that you could really enjoy doing. And one of the things that often happens which it is part of your story, it's a part of your story, is that we find that thing. We find that thing. And then 
we discover that we also have to be an entrepreneur <laughs> in finding that thing. So what I'd love to have you talk a little bit about is what that looked like for you and when maybe you made the decision to just go all in on your business. Absolutely. So as I shared, I started doing this kind of on the side and I went and I kind of got skilled up as people say, got certified, officially certified by coaching organizations and really started to hone my craft. Because a lot of people can kind of hang up a shingle and say, I'm a coach because I did this thing and I didn't agree with that. I still don't agree with that. I think it's a really difficult skill. And so I wanted to make sure I was doing it right. So that was a start. And then I realized that people had a real need that what people really enjoyed about me was that I was coming straight off a trading floor in a deal-making role. So I wasn't just kind of, and by the way, I think HR people are incredible coaches as well, but I had a slightly different background. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of interest in working with me because of my former role. And so at some point I just, there wasn't enough hours in the day and, and I had to make a decision and it was it was an easy decision for me. I was very fortunate to have support from my husband who said, go for it. I've never seen you more clear on anything. I did do a presentation for him with a scenario analysis of what the years could look like the next couple of years, the low end, the high end, and the most likely scenario. So we did, we did kind of approach it from my MBA training, if you will. And then it was all hands on deck, go, you know, and I was every part of the business. I was everything from accounting and and the coach and the marketer and the website designer as a starting point. So mm-hmm. it was hard, but it was fun because I was learning so many new skills. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was it was really enjoyable in the beginning. And yeah. I was it was ten years ago at this point. Congratulations! We're so we're going to ring the bell, celebrating <laughs> a decade. Well, you know what I love here, Helen, that I want our listeners to hear, and then we're going to talk about your clients. But before we go there, I want to I want our listeners to hear that you can find your thing that allows you to take the skills you already have and really leverage that in a unique way. That's number one. And number two, the skills you had on the trading floor, you enrolled your husband, right? (laughs) So she used her sales skills to enroll her husband. And I want you all ladies to remember that there are stakeholders when you start your own business. There are other people that are going to be impacted by that. And being able to enroll and sell, you know, the vision is a powerful tool to have in your toolbox. So Helen, let's talk about what you actually do with your clients and what kind of people actually come to work with you. Yeah. And I feel like you did a beautiful layup for me. So you talked about really enrolling. I usually use the words influence or getting buy-in because it's a common theme to the coaching work I do. So we'll talk about who the clients are, but at this point in my business, I now have people coming to me from a lot of different places just because people are referring me to their friends and colleagues and business partners and so on and so forth. But one of the most common themes to my work is I'm navigating two types of pain points or problems that my clients have. The first is they are in a senior serious role and they need to influence or get buy-in And there are 
hurdles, roadblocks. Sometimes they need to deal with a board that they need to convince on something if they're leading a company. Sometimes they need to get buy-in from investors. Oftentimes it partners and or colleagues in other departments. And oftentimes it's leading their own teams and getting their teams to really row in the same direction with the same oomph and gusto that that person has, right? And everyone has a very different style. People have different personalities. One of the things that I do a lot in my work is to help people understand that you you can be you, you can be authentic, but you have to put it in the context of the person you're trying to influence or get their buy-in. So that's actually a big theme. And then the other is what I touched on earlier is because a pattern of my life is chronic change. I feel that I can really help my clients navigate change, change in their organization, a change that they themselves are implementing for their, their business or their, their company, or even just they themselves are going through change where they want something different. So those are kind of the two pain points I do a lot of work around. The nature of my clients tend to be both, actually both men and women. I do a lot of work with both. They tend to be leaders in their field. They tend to be experienced. Certainly because of my Wall Street background, I have a lot of people in finance. I now do a lot of work in law, in tech. I do a lot of work with emerging high growth companies. One of the things that I really enjoy doing is working with what I would say is up and coming leaders that have a really big stretch role. And now they're no longer just a producer or an operator, but now they have a team and they're having to grow their team. They're having to lead that team through change because their company is growing. And what does that mean for their leadership and how do they have to change and evolve? And those are some of my favorite projects. Mm, Beautiful. I love that. So what I'm hearing here also, Helen, that I want to go back to is that you invested in yourself. And so I'd love to have you talk a little bit about helping people to make the decision to invest in an executive coach, to make the decision to invest in themselves. If some of our listeners might be thinking about starting their own businesses or, you know, invest in their vision if they're in an environment where like you, you created a business within a business kind of thing. So I'd love to have you speak a little bit before we close about the process that you take yourself and your clients through when it comes to really putting your money on the table and saying, I'm going to invest financially in this, whatever this is, this next step is. What a great question, because funny enough, that's actually very difficult for me. I have very much of an immigrant mindset when it comes to investing in myself and a little bit of like, I'll just do it all myself. I'll figure it out. And I've had to, that's been a growth moment for me as a business owner to say, no, Helen, you really need to just invest the money for somebody who really knows what they're doing to do it or to somebody to guide you through it or support you through it. That has been a real internal battle that I constantly struggle with. My husband has a great saying. He says, do what you do best, pay for the rest. And I literally have to say that to myself probably 10 times before I actually am willing to to pay the money. So those of your listeners that 
have always wanted coaching, but always felt like they don't deserve to spend the money on themselves. I feel your pain, but I encourage you to fight against it, right? Because it is just really what that means is that you don't think you're worth the money. And we should explore why you don't think you're worth the money, right? And so I'll I'll say that. So that's been a process actually I'm trying to continuously grow toward, grow from. And also when we look at the stories of really successful businesses, they always talk about hire good people, don't be afraid to spend the money, really invest, put it all back into the business. So the data is there that that's the right way to run a business. Many of us, and and for some reason, I think it's a little bit more common. I'm stereotyping right now, but I think women have a harder time investing in themselves than men. Totally agree. Um, And certainly I'm guilty of it. So I just literally try to push through. Here's my answer to you. I literally just try to force (laughs) myself to be uncomfortable because I know that it's going to pay off. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Well, in the last minute or so that we have, one of the things that you had talked about with me in the green room was that you have some, you sometimes apply AI to your coaching. And I think that's interesting. So I'd love to have you speak just a little bit about that before we have to close. Sure. So it's very custom how I do it. So what what I do is when I work with my clients, with the with the leaders that I work with, we usually identify something that they really need to change. And oftentimes it's something around their communication. And let's take written communication because that's an easy one to show. But they don't have time. They have so many things that they need to do. And many of them will push back and historically have pushed back on me and said, look, Helena, I don't have time to sit there and overanalyze an email. I just need to get it out. But oftentimes the tone of the email or the, st- or the way the email is written can literally change how the whole situation goes, what the person on the other side of the email feels about you, if they actually want to do this thing that you're asking them. So it, it's worth spending that extra time, but many of my clients don't. And it's been very hard for me to figure out how to change that behavior. So I realized that now with such easy accessibility to AI, to a chat GPT, I teach my clients the right prompts to help them rephrase what they need to say to be influential, to get buy-in, to come at situations from the perspective of the other person, which immediately elevates their emotional intelligence. And yet they are helped by a machine. It's them they just get the help of chat GPT essentially. And All it can right. be writing, but it can also be done for preparation for meetings or important conversations. Beautiful. I love it. Well, that's very unique. Helen, you're the first person that's talked about that on our show. So I just want to make sure we slip that in before it was time for us to go. And that is what time it is right now. So listeners, we do love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's episode. Go right now to wickedlysmartwomen.com to join our community, share your takeaways, ask questions, or submit guest suggestions. Thanks so much for tuning in. Keep your ears open. And remember, you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list 
to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.